about the show Barry on HBO. Jamie Lynn, I'm so excited to be podcasting again. This is really fun. Yeah. To be back in your office. and I mean, people may not know that we're veteran podcasters. This is our third podcast together. It sure is. We're not going to tell you what the other ones were. We're <laughs> proud of them, but in a different way. <laughs> yeah. They don't exist anymore because we like to keep our jobs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but those podcasts were about TV generally, and we just decided, based on our own listening habits, mm-hmm. we decided that we really wanted to do a podcast focused on one show. Yes. Uh, I think Jamie Lynn and I, you, you and I watch TV the same way, where like, we like devour something, and then you kind of want to live in that world for a little yes. bit. And so you're seeking out like everything you can learn about that until you've like taken every little morsel of meat <laughs> off that bone and th- this is one of the things i turn to i look to podcasts to get a little more information absolutely whenever i get into a show i immediately you know pull open my podcast app and mm-hmm. type in the show just to see if anybody's done a podcast on it and i'm usually very disappointed to find out that's not the case yes or you'll come across and there's there's no problem with these types of podcasts but the episode recaps and i'm like that's great if you need to keep up with a show but you're not actually going to watch the show i've right. never understood the format beyond that um so that is not what our podcast is going to be no we're very discussion oriented there Mm -hmm. are things that stand out to us as we watch episodes that we talk about with each other and we just think it might be interesting if you guys want to join that discussion with us Yes, please. And if you would like to talk to us, you can find us a whole bunch of places. Uh, We're going to be on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can email us. Handle for all three is Most Evil Guy. Easy to remember. Which was surprisingly not taken. I know. Shocked, honestly. (laughs) I was like, surely there's like, you know, I'm going to have to be Most Evil Guy 42 or something on Instagram. But no, we are the Most Evil Guy. I know. I thought we'd have to put pod on the end of it. Like (laughs) so many people do. Yeah. Yeah, we lucked out with that one. So we picked Barry because it's a show that we both absolutely love. And we just thought, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. I'm I'm a Real Housewives fan, and I listen to a lot of Real Housewives podcasts. And I will say um, a lot of them are really angled at tearing people down, the show mm-hmm. down, the characters on the show down. Um, and we picked Barry because it's a show that we both love, and we are both ceaselessly positive about. And so we just yes. thought that would be really nice to put that out in totally. the world. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to hear thoughtful analysis. Like, we're going to be thinking about it, you know, with a a critical lens, but not in a way that we're reviewing it. That's not what it's about. This is like an appreciation podcast, basically. And speaking of appreciation, um, I distinctly remember (laughs) running into you in the parking lot of Target uh, shortly after I started watching Barry. And I had gotten, like, really into Bill Hader. It's going to be, like, a, a talent crush. I shouldn't say that in case we one day get to... <laughs> anyway, uh, but I ran into Jamie Lynn, and the first thing I said to her was, I think I'm in love with Bill Hader. <laughs> like, to be clear, I'm happily married. Um, but Jamie Lynn's answer Bill was... Bill Hader, you have nothing to worry about. No, nothing to worry about. But Jamie Lynn's first answer was... Her first response was, uh, do I need to call the cops? <laughs> Um, anyway, I just, I saw it and suddenly saw all these like additional depths to Hater, who we all knew from, well, we'll talk more about him later, but, um, yeah, it's just a fantastic show with a, a really interesting premise. Yeah. And one that 
you know, there's a couple other shows that have done this type of show, a hitman tries to change their life, uh, but the tone of this and the execution of it is just so unique. So I'm going to say this, and I realize I'm raising the stakes through the roof right <laughs> off the bat, but I put this show in the same category, you've heard me say this, as Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Wow. Which are two amazing shows, and Barry, to me, is the same level. Yep. Mainly because they all, they all make my palms sweat when I watch them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not something, I don't like experience a lot of anxiety in a show. Yeah. Um, those three shows do it to me. Yes. And Barry keeps me on the edge of my seat. I cannot predict the writing, which you know me, like I'm big on like, it's very easy for me to recognize patterns and things. Yes. You study screenwriting, so you know the the format the beats of things yep. it's very easy for us to predict what's going to happen in a show and it's so refreshing when you find a show that you can't predict absolutely and you know i think that you have a strong innate sense of story and traditional storytelling which helps you make those predictions when you're watching you know less inventive stuff mm. and this one you know while still having a really strong sense of story makes a lot of unexpected choices absolutely yeah it's uh it's yeah I, if, if you haven't watched the show i guess we might as well warn them here um, if you haven't watched the show yet uh the way we're going to be approaching this is we're going to take it one episode at a time uh we're going to start this is episode one so we're going to do episode one of barry which is make your mark and we're gonna try our hardest to keep yes. spoilers from later episodes and seasons out of this so even though our analysis might be colored by what we know we're gonna try not to let any plot points or anything like that uh slip beyond the episode we're discussing yeah i mean i think the idea is if you're new to the universe of barry and you want to start watching the show mm -hmm. and listen along with us you can do that and we'll try not to ruin your good time yes 100 percent. so with that said we are starting with episode one so season one, episode one, this is titled Chapter One, Make Your Mark. It's written by Alec Berg and Bill Hader. Now, Alec was a name I recognized because I watched Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And um, he also, he executive produced that. And he was also an EP on Curb Your Enthusiasm, mm -hmm. which is a very smart and funny show. And he used to be a writer on Seinfeld. So that all makes a lot of sense to me. He's got hella comedy credentials um, <laughs> and, you know, was a an HBO veteran at that point. Yeah. Um, so he was paired up with Bill Hader. Um, and, you know, I'm sure the network was confident in Hader's acting chops and would like to, you know, take a chance on him as a filmmaker. But they put him with Alec Berg because he's a seasoned HBO creator. Mm -hmm. Um and so the two of them basically got boy banded together. <laughs> yeah. HBO was like, they were like, like made in a lab. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know each other. They were introduced by HBO. They were put in a room together and they're like, go work on something. Um, so it wasn't even so much that there was like an idea that, you know, one of them took to the network. It was like they co-created it together. Isn't that kind of a dream? It's kind of awesome. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is a dream. It's like being employed by a major television network <laughs> as a creator to come up with something, but you don't have the idea yet. It's a but little terrifying. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually, uh, the terrifying is, is a word I've heard them use to describe the idea of shooting the show because because they're, they really co-created it from the beginning, it wasn't like they came in with, all right, here's our pilot and then here's the whole arc of season one and mm -hmm. then let's just, you know, work with the writer's room to work it out. 
they really let the writer's room inform the direction and the plot, you know, uh, shifts and changes in course in the season. So very collaborative. From what I understand with TV, that feels like such a luxury now. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and I've heard, so listening to the Better Call Saul podcast, which is fantastic if anyone likes Better Call Saul, um, the idea now that you need to come into a show Mm -hmm. knowing your entire first season beginning to end before you can ever even get a pilot off the ground to have the level of clout that Alec and Bill have to just be trusted to come up with a show and follow it as it goes along is it's it's a luxury but Mm -hmm. it also creates such good material I think that those uh and then you we can link some podcasts in the show notes but uh, you know, in interviews, Bill Hader has credited writers in his room for making big, you know, story decisions and mm-hmm. challenging he and Alec on what they thought they wanted to do. Um, so, again, it seems like it was a really collaborative uh, process. And I totally stand Barry um, and <laughs> stand Hader. And I'm a, just a massive, massive fan. So I'm psyched that we're sitting down to do this. And he was on SNL for, I think, like eight years. Yeah. And uh, part of you know, Barry comes from that experience, he said, uh, where, you know, he had a lot of anxiety. He'll, he'll say in podcasts that mm. he had stage fright and just severe anxiety. And so he's very funny, like, incredible impressionist and comedian, gets this dream job and it winds up basically sucking his soul dry <laughs> because he's got so much <laughs> His anxiety. words, not ours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm paraphrasing there, yeah. but um, yeah, he ends up, you know, having a, a rough time while doing this thing that should be his dream job. So he took that idea of like, what if the thing that you were really, really good at, you know, crushed your soul? <laughs> I mean, isn't that, I think a lot of us can apply that to our lives though. It's so relatable. Yeah. And I wanting mean, you, something different. You go to college, you think you're going to do one thing forever. You come out of college, you start doing that one thing forever. <laughs> and then you discover that your soul has been sucked out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <So. yes. laughs> um, amen to that. <laughs> so with episode one, I was okay. So this is the fourth time I think I've watched season one in preparation for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, boy, it holds up to every rewatch, for one. Um, And for two, you just get so jealous of how good they are at exposition. And Mm -hmm. everything is laid out and nothing feels forced. And these are short episodes. Right. But everything feels like it has its moment to breathe. It does not feel rushed. And all the information you need to know is in the episode. It's so good. It's a feat, honestly, of, of, you know, writing and producing. And I think that the thing that's so interesting is that when you hear the way people describe the show, it varies. Some people will say hmm. it's a comedy. Some people say it's a crime comedy. Like, some people kind of take away different notes of it. And it's got this blend of, like, so many different things happening that it's kind of miraculous they fit into a 30-minute episode. And they, do, they don't really do that thing where sometimes they'll sneak, like, a 37 or 38-minute episode. And they're like, I don't... I don't trying to think if there's any in the course of the whole show and i don't think i've seen one don't think so maybe ronnie lily in season two is a longer episode maybe but again that could just be i mean they pack so much in yeah such discipline and the runtime for this episode 33 minutes like you know uh right on for uh a you know prestige cable comedy so the plot of episode one barry barry berkman played by bill Hader. He's a Marine Corps veteran. 
and he's from Cleveland. Um, we find out basically in the first scene that he's a hitman. Um, he's returning home after completing a job and he's approached by Fuchs, played by Stephen Root, who I absolutely love. Phenomenal. Uh, Stephen is acts as his um, mentor, his manager. Yep. Um, he's the one that sets up the jobs for Barry, um, handles all the payment stuff, as we'll find out. Um, basically, just like books a plane ticket and points him in a direction. So we see him returning. Fuchs gives Barry an assignment and basically says, like, you know, this was so interesting. He's like, oh, Barry, you know, this is kind of looking like the old Barry because mm -hmm. Barry comes back and he seems really listless and he plays video games and he sleeps all day. And so Fuchs is like, you know what? I think you need a change. Let's send you out to sunny L.A. You're going <laughs> to do this big time job for the Chechen mob. So he goes out there and he flies to L.A. and he meets Chechen mob boss Goran Pazar. He's played by Glenn Fleshler, who I have seen in a bunch of stuff and absolutely love this guy. <laughs> um, he's just so, he's so creepy. <laughs> like, he creeps me out. <laughs> and his right-hand man, Noho Hank, played by Anthony Kerrigan. Total bright spot. Yes. Mm -hmm. We love Noho Hank. You will get no shortage of Noho Hank love on this podcast. The target is revealed to be Ryan Madison, a personal trainer whom Goran Pizarro's wife is having an affair with. So Barry gets to L.A. to take care of this job. Um, he follows Ryan to this, like, kind of building and is hanging out outside. He's not sure what's going on. And as he heads up to the building to, you know, scope out what Ryan's doing, he hears this person yelling. And it's Sally. He doesn't realize that she's running lines. He interrupts her, breaks up her flow. She gets pissed and, uh, you know, basically talks down to him. He, you know, follows her into the building and finds out that he is entering a small theater where there's an acting class going on. Um, so he realizes that he is, you know, in this acting class. It is taught by Jean Cousinow, um, who is played by the inimitable <laughs> um, Henry Winkler, just yes. uh, an absolute dream. And he walks in on Henry Winkler basically just berating Sally. Yeah, um, it's rough. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to watch, honestly. And then something turns. She gets pissed. She starts crying. And he tells her, okay, like, use that. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that it's a technique. They make up. He praises her. Anyway, after class, uh, or, oh, I can't forget this. Um, Barry yeah. helps out his mark with a scene. Um, and it's like a, a really terribly cast <laughs> scene from, from, true uh, from True Romance. Yeah, that he definitely should not have been doing. <laughs> no. Uh, so he follows them to this bar, Residuals, um, which we've got a fun fact about. Mm -hmm. It's a real place. Yeah, I was shocked I by couldn't that. believe it. Yeah. yeah. Jamie Lynn told me that when uh, when I came here, and, and uh, I was like, wait a second, I thought it was a joke and, like, a good joke. <laughs> I do suspect, though, like, having rewatched the episode, um, the interior looks a lot different than the photographs on their website, so I'm not sure if they use the interior of the bar for the show, but yeah. that bar is definitely a real place. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, like, if it was just a joke on its own, that'd be a great joke, but it's actually a real-life thing. I, that's why I looked it up in the first place, because I was like, they have to have made that up. <laughs> it's too yeah. perfect. Uh, that's great. So, and then we have this whole, like, a moment where where Barry is at the bar and kind of starts to realize, like, okay, there's a sense of community here. People mm -hmm. like each other. People are being supportive and asking him questions. And um, he starts to kind of feel a little at home, maybe. 
but then things change. Well, one of the things that happens is Sally asks if Barry will drive Ryan home. Mm-hmm. I mean, his mark is just being put right into his lap. <laughs> the downside, of course, being that he's now introduced himself to all these people and his face is known. So somehow he has to complete this job while also being totally known to everyone surrounding his mark. Barry just drives him home. Um, Ryan is very drunk. He hugs Barry as he leaves. Uh, exits the car. Mm -hmm. Um, Barry drives away. Unbeknownst to Barry, NoHo Hank and a couple of his goons have been following Barry. And Hank, upon seeing Barry and Ryan hug, is thinking, oh no, Barry's screwing them over and he's not going to do this job. Mm -hmm. So NoHo Hank communicates that to Fuchs, who communicates to Barry the importance of getting this job done because the Chechens are this close to pulling him off the job, which would be very bad for both of them. Yes. So uh, things kind of culminate where he goes to finish the job reluctantly, arrives and finds his mark slumped over in the seat, bullet in the middle of his head. Yep. The Chechens went ahead and took care of it for themselves. And now Barry's in the crosshairs. Yep. Barry notices that he's in the crosshairs. All right. He's a seasoned veteran. He picks up on this and... With a look that basically says he doesn't care if he dies, <laughs> starts walking towards these, you know, uh, no Hank and his goons. Mm-hmm. And it's like, put the gun down. Don't point that gun at me. Um, and you see kind of like his desperation, but also how much he's looked death in the face. Anyway, I'll stop editorializing there. But uh, you're it, right. He, though. he approaches. He shoots the two goons in the head. Somehow spares uh, Hank. And well, he does. He does clip Hank in the shoulder. That's true. He does. But Hank, you can see him open the door and roll out of the car, basically. Yes. Uh, so he kills the two goons, injures Hank, basically completely reversed and blew up this job that he was supposed to do. Yep. <laughs> and uh, as he's walking away, you see from the perspective of the dashboard of this vehicle that Hank and his goons were in a little blinking light. And there's a camera recording Barry as he runs away. And this is what I mean when I said earlier about how they give you all the information that you need in the episode. So earlier when Barry had met with Goran and Hank about the job, there's this whole scene where Hank (laughs) is showing him basically bragging and Goran gets mad about it, about how he planted a lipstick camera in the hotel room where Goran's wife and Ryan were having Mm -hmm. an affair. And so we are introduced to the camera. They show us the camera, what it looks like, that Hank likes to use it. And then here we come at the end of the episode, full circle. It's Chekhov's lipstick camera. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like Gene Cousinow would like that reference. (laughs) Totally. Um, And then there it is, blinking. Yep. ominously set up in the first act paid off in the, yeah. in the third yep. um just good stuff and the thing that i love about that is it's just so thoughtful and like good reinforcement but mm-hmm. you don't need it you know what i mean like it could have had you could have the same plot effect without that setup but it wouldn't have the same character effect or the same like impact on the overall story no if it, it hadn't been set up I think you as the audience feel smart for putting those two things together, even though the writers have done it for you. (laughs) Put those two things together. You're like, oh my gosh, look, it's the lipstick camera from earlier. Exactly. It's just so good. They're so expeditious with how they write this. They really are. And there's not a lot of what they call pipe, which is people exposing things like expository Mm -hmm. dialogue for the sake of expository dialogue. And so 
Barry, you know, realizes shit. He's basically in the open, even though it's dark. He's in the he ditches the gun, he ditches the rental mm-hmm. car, and he walks to a diner. And when he sits down, the server who comes over and takes care of him, uh, played by Melissa Villasenor from SNL, by the way, uh, in a little guest turn. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, That's one of nice. his uh, another SNL alum. I actually think she's still in SNL now. I'm not oh. sure. So she's got a packet of sides with her mm-hmm. and he's like hey what's that and she tells him that he's uh, she's an actor and he tells her that he is also an actor well and we should mention he had tried to when fuchs came to him to mm-hmm. say hey buddy you've got to get this job done the chechen mafia is looking at us sideways and he basically told fuchs like no i want to go and be an actor and fuchs is like uh no <laughs> That's one of my jokes, my favorite jokes in the whole episode is where, you know, Fuchs is talking about him being like a chicken commercial and he's like, I don't know if I would do commercials. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you can't go around killing people if you're in a chicken commercial. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> oh, so good. So that is episode one. And I, I mean, we've already talked a lot about the things that we love about it. I... There's a couple things that stand out to me in this episode, and there's one thing that I would love to ask you about, Mm -hmm. because in watching this episode, I could not figure it out. When we first meet Sally, she is rude, Mm -hmm. completely self-centered. She literally says, I wrote it down, thanks a lot to Barry for interrupting her, (laughs) blames him for throwing her off of her game, even though he's just walking like outside in a public area (laughs) she's just so self-centered and so rude and so narcissistic and Mm self-involved what do you why do you think barry was attracted to sally (laughs) so for me the the thing that i keep in mind and the thing that comes across at least in like the maybe late second early third act when they're at a residuals Mm -hmm. she pays him just the smallest iota of attention the smallest the smallest she's literally not capable of more yeah she basically like leans in to to ask him you know can you give is it ryan ryan madison Mm -hmm. give ryan a ride and when when she does he's like hook line and sinker just lost in her eyes yeah right and so what i'm thinking is that when you think about you know, the character's wounds and what they want and all that kind of thing. His wound to me is like a father wound, but also isolation, like total sense of isolation and lack of purpose. And so any tiny, like a little bit of her connection that he sees from someone, he like latches onto. So like, I'm not even sure it's that like he sees her and thinks she's attractive. I feel like it's like she made eye contact with him for two minutes or not even two minutes, two seconds. And he's like, this feels great. I want to bask in the sunshine of your eye contact. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, even though you're a narcissist. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so now I'm thinking like, uh, and we don't, we don't know much about Barry's backstory at this point. All we know is that, Mm -hmm. you know, Fuchs was a friend of his dad's. Yep. And he, you know, wants to, he wants purpose. Yes. And so we know that there's kind of this hole in him, this wound yeah um but we don't really know like where that comes from or what that looks like for him right um but you're i think you're right with the isolation piece because Mm -hmm. he's we only see him kind of traveling around and doing his hits and then he comes home and he's alone and he seems very depressed and fuchs to me is very uh, seems very motivated by money 
Yes. I mean, what we get of him in this opening episode is him being very conscientious and penny pinching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in fact, when he gives Barry this gig, he you know flies him into I think like Vancouver or something. He flies him into like yeah the Ontario airport like yeah. two hours from LA. <laughs> and he tries to say it's like under the guise of like opsec, like yeah. well you can't fly directly into the place where you're going. But Barry <laughs> picks up on it and says, "How much cheaper was it?" Yep. And it's all, it's all about the bottom line with Fuchs. And he, I I say he pretends to care about Barry to manipulate him. Absolutely. And I I feel like there's something in that interaction and and something to be said for like the subtext of what's being said and what's happening on screen. That if you were to read the lines that Fuchs is doing absent Mm. of their performance, you might think that he cares about Barry for like a second. Good point. But the way that they're delivered and the, the tension between them there's like a little disdain almost in uh in Fuchs's voice that like it, that he is kind of treating Barry like a burden and trying to make him feel like he's one. I'm so glad you said that. I literally wrote in my notes watching this episode, um, he cajoles Barry. Yeah, yep. When he goes to him in that second scene where they're, you know, he comes to Barry's apartment and he, he you know, he starts criticizing Barry mm-hmm. for what he's doing and says, you know, gosh, this looks like the old Barry. And it doesn't come from a genuine place of like, Barry, what's going on? Right. Like, what's going on with you? It's He's almost cajoling him into saying like, this really looks like the old Barry. Why don't you smarten up? You know, it's just, it's, it's not a healthy relationship. It isn't. And as we're talking about this, I'm noticing that there are actually a lot of parallels. And again, we don't want to spoil anything beyond this episode, but between the Fuchs relationship and the Barry and the uh, Sally relationship uh, with Mm. Barry. So Fuchs wants to control Barry. Yes. Wants a profit or whatever Barry can give him. Yeah. He's a taker. He's not giving Barry anything except for a Some livelihood. Yeah. yeah. And a livelihood that is sucking Barry's soul out. Yeah. You know? Sally, the same, is only happy when Barry is under her thumb. And we won't get too much into that right. as we go forward. But yeah. their relationship only works for her when she's the one who is doing better and is in control. And now that you say that, I think this is going to bode true for both Sally and Fuchs is Mm -hmm. they are the kind of people who um, are very bothered by other people's successes. Yes. They take it as a personal affront. Yes. They Mm -hmm. do not want people to do better than them. Yep. So yeah, I can definitely see that being the case. Yeah. So I think the biggest scene in this episode is when Barry goes up to Jean at his car Mm -hmm. and now this is Barry has told Fuchs he wants to be an actor and Fuchs has basically said no you can't do that you just can't do that yep. and you have to go do this hit and Barry is struggling with the idea of like killing Ryan destroying this community that he's just been introduced to and is drawn to mm-hmm. and so as sort of a last ditch he walks up to Jean's car and says you know Mr. Cousineau do you think I am good enough to be in your class and Jean unapologetically (laughs) unabashedly i imagine that everyone in hollywood just acts like this um (laughs) just says no you know you're absolute dog shit and then barry in response gives him this for lack of a better term right now monologue Mm -hmm. about his life it's truth because gene tells him that acting is truth and i don't see any in you Mm -hmm. now in thinking about this episode i thought this is absolute bullshit. Like, why doesn't Gene believe Barry? Like, why would he think that this is fake? But then in rewatching it, it's much more clear that Barry missed class that night and was supposed to have prepared a monologue. 
Right. So that kind of made it a little more believable to me that Gene would not accept what Barry was saying as true. Maybe think that this was something he prepared as like a last ditch effort to say like, no, please let me stay in your class. Yeah. But I don't know. What's your take on that? Because honestly, in watching this episode, it was very, um, it reminded me of American Psycho. <laughs> uh, where <laughs> Makes sense. Patrick Bateman just goes around and literally just tells the truth of himself all the time and everyone is so caught up in their own bullshit and their own ego and yep. so self-focused that they just can't even hear his truth i th- can't hear his truth that's like a great way to put it yeah so the like one of the things i take away from that scene is that they're both telling the truth in that scene yes barry tells the truth that this is my story and Jean tells the truth that I don't think you're good enough for this. <laughs> yeah. They're both telling one another the truth and they both don't listen to the other. <laughs> you oh know what God, I mean? Yes. Right? <laughs> you're right. Because Barry is terrible. Yes. We've seen him do one thing, which is that very <laughs> wooden line he gave in the true romance scene. Yep. One thing. And it was so terrified and so wooden. And yet he's like, yeah, I can do this. I can be an actor. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And for him to flip, I mean, again, a, a hater is, you know, in interviews has said that Barry is like not fully developed, you know, he's not mature. Oh, totally. And, uh, that he, the, the fact that by the end of the episode, he identifies himself as an actor after having been to one full acting class. I'm not even sure he's got one full one under no, his belt at that point. Because no. he missed one and... Um, yeah, after that, he's decided that he's an actor and that's how he's going to identify in the world. And that's how desperate he is to have an identity outside of the world that and, and the identity that Fuchs has built for him. You know, what's interesting, though, is making Barry a veteran slots really nicely into that. Don't you think? Because when yes. you are defined by your job in the military for so long and then you transition into civilian life you are automatically looking for something to grasp onto and a new way to define yourself. And Fuchs took advantage of that by stepping in at that moment and giving Barry a purpose. But Barry didn't choose that purpose necessarily. Fuchs was just a new commanding officer for him. Yeah, there's something so true in in Fuchs telling Barry, you're good at this, and like having that be the way he builds his esteem. Mm -hmm. Because... Um, like I said before, I'm a veteran. I, I served in the Air Force. There's a lot of stuff you do when you're in the military. And I'm not talking about like grizzly stuff on the battlefield. Like I never did that. But <laughs> just just in terms of jobs, there's yeah. a lot of stuff that you are required to do and just figure out and do that you can do. It is within your skill set, but it might take a lot out of you or it might, yeah. you know, it might just not be a good match for your personality. So, yeah, he's good at killing people. Mm-hmm. But is that what he wants to do? No. And no one's ever asked him what he wants. But now, but that's been the only thing he's doing. And now a new opportunity has presented itself. And so without even really considering if it's the right thing for him, he's just went, yeah, I'm going to do that now. A thousand percent. And, you know, I know that they chose, uh, Alec and um, Bill Hader chose acting because it is a field, a career field diametrically opposed with being an assassin or successfully being an assassin mm. you know what i mean or a hitman like you can't have like the, the way fuchs says like you can't be in a chicken commercial and have your face all over the place yeah i actually saw um a little 
behind the scenes they did and the way alec phrased it was um the known versus the unknown mm. you have to be known as an actor and you have to be unknown as a hitman exactly uh, I think that it's so beautiful they picked that because narratively it serves such a purpose and yep. character and conflict-wise it serves such a purpose and comedy-wise, obviously. <laughs> um, it's it's really, really like ripe and rich for all of the things the story needs to go. But I do think that exactly what you just said about how he just wanted to latch on to whatever was this first thing that gave him that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. If he had walked into a basket weaving class or like Yoga. a night school or something like yeah. that, he would have, in a heartbeat... Yep. folded into that because yep. he was so desperate for community and attention and a purpose and the added bonus of having well okay well so i'll say the added bonus of having it be a positive thing mm -hmm. but to bring this back around to earlier when you were describing gene and sally's first scene together yep. acting this acting class and acting in general in this show is portrayed as very abusive mm. it's such an abusive process and i'm not saying that's unique to the portrayal in yeah. the show but that's how we see it is the very first time we're introduced is sally you know trying to rehearse the scene where she's like cussing out someone she does this scene where she's you know in conflict with another person there's a lot of cussing and yeah. by the way that scene was really terribly written i don't know if that's based <laughs> on real material but oh my god those lines she ends it by saying suck my dick and closing the door <laughs> like it was just awful um but then it's you know it's gene just berating her and mm -hmm. mocking her in front of the entire class just ripping her to shreds yep breaking her down and then being like use that and that moment of like euphoria in her face where she was just like oh he had to do that to me to get me to that place yes it was so i literally wrote abusive in the margins of my notebook because yep it was it really reminds me of like everything you hear about like kubrick films or you know any time where a director feels like they need to abuse a person to get them right. to an emotional breaking point, and then they're like, use that. I need to traumatize you to get this shot. Yeah. Like, that's just, uh, uh, I'm not a director, but there's a lot of other ways you can get a performance out of someone <laughs> besides hope. abusing them. Um, no, I think you're exactly right. And that echoes a lot of other patterns that we'll later learn in the show. Yeah. Um, and I think that another thing is fascinating about the world of acting and again i'm gonna you know not quote but paraphrase something that alec berg said in the interview with austin film festival on a panel he said that the two worlds the you know hitman world and the the acting world in the show they're you know diametrically opposed career fields but also when barry is doing his hitman business it is very high stakes and low drama Mm -hmm. It's unfeeling. He's just dropping bodies, you know? Um, <laughs> when he's in the acting world, it is low stakes and high drama. And yes. that experience is also something I think that a lot of veterans can relate to. When they've had to shut their emotions off um, or tamp them down mm -hmm. to be able to endure difficult circumstances and do certain things. And then you come back into reality where things that you know are inconsequential are suddenly like a big problem. And it's very, very hard to reconcile that tension. I also think, too, like part of making him a veteran and having him seen combat, too, which you'll mm -hmm. find out later in the season, um, or actually pretty shortly, is the drudgery yeah. of war. And just having him approach these, you know, most people, I think, if they were going to be a hitman, there would be a lot of like palm sweating and like, you know, fidgeting and loading guns and like, 
there's just something where you just get into this mode of yep. it's just drudgery. You're just going through the motions. You're just doing the things. And that's not the stuff that gets your nervous system worked up. Yes. The stuff that gets your nervous system worked up is the emotional access. Yes. Yep. And he's got that part of himself tamped down so hard. Yeah. He's not a John Wick. I just watched John Wick two nights ago with my brother. <laughs> he's, you know, he's not like this like slick, smooth assassin. Like it is boring to him. This is like yeah. he approaches it with all the energy of an office job yeah. like it's boring yep agreed one thing i was thinking about and this is m- on more of the frivolous side but um in watching through when uh hank is sort of going over the job with barry um you know we we want you to assassinate ryan <laughs> madison he's sleeping with goran's wife he shows him on his computer ryan's id and i screenshotted it because <laughs> i was like i'm just gonna take a look see if there's anything fun hidden in here So his ID lists his name as Ryan Madison, but it's issued in Wisconsin, where he's from. Yeah. And I just thought, well, we know, we find out that, you know, Madison is not his last name. He's changed his name, as many actors do. Yeah. So one of the things I thought was curious was, like, clearly he changed his name before he left Wisconsin. That's funny. Which I thought was weird and maybe, like, an inconsistency. But the other thing that got me thinking about was because... Ryan changed his name and then when they're speaking him and Barry are speaking at residuals and you know he says like what's your name and he's like Berkman he's like no no (laughs) you're gonna be Barry Black (laughs) and I just thought haven't we gotten to a point where we as a society value diversity enough that you don't have to change your name anymore god you would like think and you would wish right I, didn't, I know that some of it, there's professional reason, like someone is already registered with SAG with your name and like you have to change it. Yeah, sure. There's some good reasons, but also, yeah, you would think. I just, I just, it made me think about it so much and I'm just like, why would anyone need to change their name now? You know what's I'm, funny is that as someone with a name that is like often mispronounced and misspelled, yeah. the feeling of people not mispronouncing your name actually feels pretty good. Like I'm very used to it being mispronounced, like don't have a problem with it. But I went to Wales to visit family recently, and, like, it's just a regular old name there. And mm-hmm. so to not have to spell it for anybody, not have to, like, you know, sound it out was kind of like, I feel like, I'm, oh, I'm home. I'm with my people. <laughs> I still mumble your name as Rhiannon a lot because of that video with Kurt Hapley. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. (laughs) Rhiannon. I was like, how does no one... That's just so strange to me that people would know how to pronounce your name. But yeah, I just... That just really struck me as like... Because it comes up, you know, with Ryan, with Mm -hmm. Barry. And they're they're just being this idea that like, you need to change your name. Like, Berkman doesn't sound appropriate enough. Um, Which is funny because it's like a very vanilla name. It's like... Barry Berkman? Not hard to pronounce. Yeah. yeah. And Barry Block doesn't sound better. It doesn't sound better. It doesn't sound stronger like Ryan purports. Yeah. And, I, you know, even if a name is difficult to pronounce, like, it should be fine. To, like, you should be allowed to keep it. You shouldn't have to change it for other people's comfort. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Just because like, people have lazy tongues. <laughs> it just seems like such a holdover. And, like, mm-hmm. when you really think about the root of why people would change, used to change their names in Hollywood anyway, it's mm-hmm. just, it's yucky. Can it we is. just stop doing it? Yeah. <laughs> that is our plea to you, Hollywood. I'm going to make this like a, a hashtag <laughs> and see if it gets any traction. <laughs> so, like you said, Jamie Lynn, I'm studying screenwriting and 
I've now seen this episode, well, like, five or six times, <laughs> like, just, you know, watching f as a fan and then watching it to study it. Um, so I was interested in what the pilot looked like. The oh, yeah. pilot, the version of the pilot script that I found was the 2015, like, a third draft copy. Wow. Um, so from, like, you know, the early days, like, well before they started filming. Yeah. And I wanted to show you, like, three different things that I thought were kind of uh, interesting. So first of all, Barry's name changed. Um, what was it? His name was Barry Belkin, <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, like functionally, it works the same as Barry Berkman. Like, yeah, but it's I mean, it sounds really similar. It does. Yeah. yeah. I'm unsure what drove the change. But yeah, it hmm. was Barry Belkin to start. His character description was just late 30s. He looks a little tired. It's clearly been a long night. He sizes himself up in the mirror. It's not apparent if he likes what he sees. Hmm. And I just I really enjoyed that as like a way to introduce the character. And then, speaking of the boredom and the monotony of this job, then he spots something. It's a gray hair, clearly his first. And so he's just finished murdering a guy. <laughs> and he's in the guy's bathroom in the hotel. And he's checking to see if he has a gray hair in the mirror. <laughs> like, it just shows you so many things about this character and what he cares about in just like a few seconds um, i'm actually kind of glad that they, we didn't see that though mm -hmm. i feel like where the scene starts you could basically just cut away from that happening though it's yeah. him walking out of the bathroom yep. so like we can envision that it has just happened yeah but i do think kind of the trope of like finding a gray hair yep. is maybe a little overused to sort of <laughs> signify that you're like tired you're tired and like what am i doing with my life yeah and, you know that kind of thing um, so I enjoyed that. Uh, and then later on, like later down the page or the next page, uh, in an action line, it describes and says, Barry is one lonely dude. <laughs> <laughs> and that is basically it, right? Like yeah. he's isolated. He has no yeah. purpose. Like he's just a very deeply lonely man. And then, um, an incel, if you will. Uh, you know what? In a lot of ways, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Noho Hank. 20s, dressed conservatively in a golf shirt and khaki pants. 20s? I know, right? Oh my god. Yeah. Yet with a tattoo on his neck. Uh, so. I love me a neck tat. <laughs> Takes a um, bold man to have a neck tat. And no, Hank is nothing if not a bold man. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you remember part where, you know, Fuchs has told Barry, like, he needs to sell himself and, like, really impress yes. the Chechens. So yeah. Offer up a little extra something on this hit. Yeah, you yeah, know, the stabbing in the nut. Yeah, you can stab him in the balls. So in this version of the script, this 2015, the third draft version, um, Barry says, I once set a guy's dick on fire. <laughs> and hmm. it gets the same reaction from the Chechens, but it's, like, a pretty different thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm just I, picturing him with, like, a, a thing of, like, charcoal lighter fluid. Yeah. <laughs> was it attached or was it detached or, like, did oh, he cut it and good do question. it in front of somebody? And yeah. Who knows? But I think that there are fewer questions about stabbing someone in the ball. Yeah. So that's pretty clear. Yeah. You, like, assume that it's still attached to them at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was an interesting choice. These are uh, great. And I'm also wondering where the note came from to change it, whether it was from the writer's room when they brought it there. Was the network, like... You know, HBO is like, you know what? Lighting a dick on fire is a step too far. You know what, though? I actually feel like lighting someone's dick on fire is, like, more innocuous than <laughs> stabbing someone in the nut. So, like, yeah. I feel like that must have been a writer's room change. They're like, it needs to be more descript. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's also, like, I'll plug another show um, that has a, a 
disarmingly charming hitman. I guess Barry's not even really charming. It's just like, like, oh, God, like I want to help you. I want to yeah, fix you. Yeah, for sure. But uh, get shorty. There is um, a penis in a jar sent as a threat at some point in the show. Um, Who's penis? Uh, some guy in prison. <laughs> so you would send someone, someone else's penis as yeah. a threat? <laughs> yeah, they cut it off. They put it in a pickle jar with pickling juice, like pickle juice. I don't know. So it was preserved. I don't know how I would receive that. That's, I yeah. don't know. And then when it gets delivered to its final recipient, he freaks out and drops it. And Ew. it shows on his bathroom floor. Anyway, that's gross. If you want to cut that, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Um, I feel like it's color and texture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, that's uh, some of the, the little things, just the little tiny things I picked up from that pilot. That's great. Um, I love hearing about the changes. Yeah. It's always fun to see how things develop. And same thing with mm-hmm. the Ted Lasso script, like the character descriptions are so like rich. And anyway, I think it's important, though, for people, maybe people who don't study screenwriting or mm-hmm. don't like think about TV a whole lot to know that like you can't be precious about your writing. Like things are going to change and writing is a very collaborative process. And like people are going to have better ideas than you and you have to be flexible and like incorporate feedback and incorporate new ideas to make the writing as the best it can be. Absolutely. And in order for, so like uh, Hader was talking about how he takes inspiration from Kurosawa who used to write with Mm. five different people because his perspective was that you can't understand or depict a person with just one person's perspective uh, or even two people's perspective. Huh. Um, so he would write one thing with five different people. Interesting. Yeah. And not necessarily all in one room, I guess. Yeah. So, but you know, they, they built the room that they have based on the strengths of the, you know, writers that they needed. And yeah. So I, I love seeing how things change and how, you know, uh, from this like concept that you have at first, you're like, I think this might work. And then you're like, oh, I think this might be shit. And then you're, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, this is actually looking pretty good again. And then you have to put it in front of someone else. And you're like, all the all the mistakes that you made and all the things that were in your head that didn't make it onto the page. Mm-hmm. Now you have to reconcile those things. So, yeah. I just think it's so important to, like, set ego aside and mm-hmm. just be willing to, like, receive feedback and receive criticism to make the thing better. Like, it, that's your ultimate goal, right, is yep. making a good show. Totally. So we want to end with a couple segments. Um, First is body count, which at episode one, we're actually pretty low. Um, There there are going to be some points where the body count skyrockets throughout the course of this. (laughs) But for episode one, we've got, let's see. So we have the, his mark in the beginning scene. Yes. um, Which we don't know anything about, but we do see him having completed this hit. So one. Yep, the script, uh, the pilot script called it a lawyer. I don't know if he actually was in the version they shot, but there's no way for us to know that. Yeah. So. Um, and then uh, Ryan, who mm-hmm. is murdered by the Chechens, not Barry, but we're just doing overall body count. Yes. And then Barry does manage to kill two of the Chechens and only wounds Hank. So our final body count for this episode sits at four. Yes, a moment of silence. <laughs> i'm just gonna like hum that in the future while you read yeah. off the body count it's like um, an in memoriam <laughs> yeah um follow us on social media to see our in memoriam cards for each of them yes <laughs> rest in peace <laughs> 
And finally, we want to do a most evil guy award mm. for each episode. So we um, each have come up with who we think the most evil guy of the episode is. Um, gender non-specific. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we agree. Re, who's your most evil guy of this episode? Uh, my most evil guy is Fuchs. We do um, agree. Did we? We picked yeah. the same person? Yeah. Um, okay, why did you pick Fuchs? I mean, for obvious reasons. Yep. I His coldness, his calculation, his mm-hmm. manipulation of Barry, I just feel like he is taking advantage of Barry's vulnerable emotional state yes. um, with zero regard for Barry's health, safety, and welfare as a person. Those are exactly the same reasons that I picked <laughs> him, too. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just... The manipulation is so clear. His role yeah. has been established established really strongly in the pilot. Um, and you see him only swoop in when his livelihood is threatened. Yes. It has nothing to do with whether Barry is safe or well. And it's interesting because I was watching the behind-the-scenes videos on HBO. They have oh, yeah. them for each episode. They're short little videos, but we'll link to them on our socials. And... Bill and Alec were talking about the character of Fuchs and how early on they had him be just, they they were saying, like, pure evil. Just Mm -hmm. obviously malignantly evil, only evil, very one-dimensional. And I know that they have tried to make him more dimensional, but like you were saying, on the page it might come across that way. Yes. But we, and maybe it's because we're women, too, where we just, the the hairs Mm -hmm. on the back of our neck go up. When you can just feel that a person is not being genuine with you, they are trying to manipulate you into yep. doing something. And no matter how he plays it, Stephen Root comes across as evil. <laughs> yes, he absolutely does. And when he is putting on a less evil-seeming face, it's because he's being smarmy and wheeling and dealing yeah. to get what he wants. And you don't trust it. Nope. Nope. So he is definitely our most evil guy for episode one. Yes, don't trust Fuchs. <laughs> Maybe that'll change in the future. We don't know. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it doesn't change. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for joining us for episode one. This has been really fun, and we hope that you join in the conversation, too. We'd love to hear your observations, your favorite scenes, your favorite jokes. Hit oh, us up so on... So many good ones. So many good ones. Um, fewer as the, se- the seasons go on, but yeah, this, this early season... Uh, just packed with great jokes uh hit us up on social media you can find us on twitter or instagram at most evil guy or send us an email at our gmail most evil guy at gmail.com so until next time we will leave you with some wisdom from sally reed do you think meryl streep and kaylee cuoco became stars just because they were the best no they just wanted it most oh and see